Hello, it's David here. Before we start with today's edition of The Leader, I just wanted to remind you that we're on social media and we really do love getting your comments on the show. Contact us through the hashtag The Leader Podcast and let us know how we're doing. Even better, give us a rating on your podcast provider. Just by doing that, you'll encourage places like Apple to show us off to more people, helping us grow our audience. So like, share, rate, comment, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. Prince Harry has revealed the leap of faith that led to him and Meghan quitting as senior royals. The decision that I have made for my wife and I to step back is not one I made lightly. And I know I haven't always gotten it right, but as far as this goes, there really was no other option. But what does it all mean? We speak to the Evening Standard Insider editor Lucy Pavia. Also... Around Westminster in a crowd, I've had someone put their hand up my skirt and pinch my bum. Comment editor Susanna Butter talks about sex pests on London's public transport, as a survey claims more than half of women have been harassed. And... I mean, you can see the logic in the decision, but there's no doubt that the gender pay row has cast a huge shadow over his, uh, his leadership. Jonathan Prynne on the resignation of the BBC's Director General Tony Hall. Is it connected to the six-figure payout given to one of its top female presenters? Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Lucy Pavia takes us through Prince Harry's speech. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reid, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. I want you to hear the truth from me as much as I can share, not as a prince or a duke, but as Harry. Speaking at Buckingham Palace to an audience of African leaders and his brother William, Prince Harry detailed for the first time why he's stepping down as a senior royal. Once Meghan and I were married, we were excited, we were hopeful and we were here to serve. For those reasons, it brings me great sadness that it has come to this. He didn't reveal everything. The Evening Standard reporting that the Queen considered stripping Harry of his royal dukedom as well as his HRH title. 
but eventually ruled that out as petty. None of those palace discussions were in the prince's speech, but the few minutes he did spend at the podium did shed some light on a historic moment in the royal family. The Evening Standard's insider editor, Lucy Pavia, watched the speech. Lucy, Harry was clearly choosing his words carefully, and although he was revealing a lot, the tone seemed quite guarded at times. I thought it was overall a very sad and a very serious speech. I felt he really didn't pull any punches in his criticism of the media, which perhaps isn't surprising. And I think there was a sense of being backed into a corner. He talked about having no choice. And there was also a sense of, you know, look what you've broken. Because he talked about that optimism, which they both had when they when they got married. And, and, and I think he, he really wanted to stress that this wasn't the plan. I've grown up feeling supported from so many of you. And I watched as you welcomed Meghan with open arms, as you, as you saw me find the love and happiness that I'd hoped for all my life. Finally, the second son of Diana got hitched. Hooray. <laughs> I also know that you've come to know me well enough over all these years to trust that the woman I chose as my wife upholds the same values as I do. And she does. And she's the same woman I fell in love with. One thing that really leapt out for me was the use of the word I a lot. The decision I made for my wife and I to step back is not one I made lightly. He's really pushing back against this narrative that Meghan Markle had somehow stormed in there, bewitched him and torn him from the royal family. Which is an extremely sexist narrative. There's a lot of misogyny, I think, at play there. Our hope was to continue serving the Queen, the Commonwealth and my military associations, but without public funding. Unfortunately, that wasn't possible. I've accepted this knowing that it doesn't change who I am or how committed I am. But I hope that helps you understand what it had come to, that I would step my family back from all I have ever known, to to take a step forward into what I hope can be a more peaceful life. I believe this really was, the thrust of it was his decision. I think she probably came into his life and and said to him, well, this is making you deeply unhappy. And, you know, you can live in a different way, but I don't think she was necessarily pulling as many strings as, as, as certain reports would necessarily have us believe. I think it was a joint decision. I think he... I think he wanted it as much as she did. There seemed to be a kind of frustration at the way the couple have been portrayed, I think, in the media. Yes, I mean, he opened with... I must say that I can only imagine what you may have heard or perhaps read over the past few weeks. Which had a bit of a laugh, but, I mean, there was definitely no... Um, you know, he didn't crack a smile there. I think he's he's pretty serious about that. And um, and then later he talked about the dark forces of the media and, and also talked about the hope that the, the power of people coming together and supporting each other will overcome these forces. When I lost my mum 23 years ago, you took me under your wing. You looked out for me for so long, but the media is a powerful force. And my hope is one day our collective support for each other can be more powerful because this is so much bigger than just us. I guess the question is, will he be able to avoid those in a new life in Canada? 
Well, actually, it was quite interesting because he starts off by saying the UK is my home. And I'm wondering if he's suggesting he might spend a bit more time here or if, you know, home is where the heart is. And it, that's where he'll always consider to be home, even if he's off in Canada. Yes, he didn't. He didn't really go into detail, did he there? Mm. Yeah, it can definitely mean, oh, I, you know, I, I've always I, I love the UK, but goodbye. I never want to see you not ever again. <laughs> It was interesting also that he was talking about, um, he spoke very warmly of the Queen and I suppose he wanted to, to stress that there was no bad blood there. And I think he, and then he also name-checked his family. I will always have the utmost respect for my grandmother, my commander-in-chief, and I'm incredibly grateful to her and the rest of my family for the support they have shown Meghan and I over the last few months. I will continue to be the same man who holds his country dear and dedicates his life to supporting the causes charities and military communities that are so important to me. But he didn't really go into any other specifics. I think he feels this intense loyalty for the Queen, first and foremost. Um, I, I hope they will divide their time. Yeah, and of course the Queen put out that statement saying that she was particularly proud of Meghan, didn't she? Mm. That's quite interesting as well. Again, the royal family protecting yes. Meghan Markle, isn't it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. I think they... They've, you know, they've seen it before. It happened with Diana, that intense media scrutiny. And I suppose for the Queen, it feels like history repeating itself. There is, there is some, some precedent there. Kind of quite dark in tone, the speech, as you said. There just a little couple of moments of levity. He talked about Archie, didn't he? Yes, he did. That was a nice end. It has also been a privilege to meet so many of you and to feel your excitement for our son, Archie, who saw snow for the first time the other day and thought it was bloody brilliant. It's a nice little nugget. Nugget about Archie there, yeah. I think that's probably all we're going to get from them in the, in the future, though, isn't it? We've no idea how this is going to work, but yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of privacy around them, or as much as they can do while still trying to use their name to make money, which is, I guess, the only way they can. It's a bit of a catch-22 situation, isn't it? Because you want to step back, but you also want to carry on doing your charitable endeavours and you need the media in order to do that. Is this Harry's last speech then? Oh, I don't know. Definitely not. Definitely not. But there might be more on Instagram than, um, than in a sort of press pen situation, I think. Next. It can be scary when it's kind of silent on the tube, like the, the packed carriage thigh grope is scary because you're surrounded by people. I think what you need in that situation is everyone needs to look out for each other. Susanna Butter reveals her own experiences of sexual harassment in London as researchers claim incidents are massively underreported. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. It's claimed more than half of women say they've been sexually harassed on public transport in London. The survey for YouGov also suggests tens of thousands of incidents go unreported. Our editorial column is demanding more be done to stop the pests. It is deeply disappointing to learn that more than half of women say they have suffered sexual harassment on public transport in London. The conduct of those responsible is reprehensible and it is completely unacceptable that any woman should be subjected to such criminal conduct. Transport for London says that more than 1,500 suspected perpetrators have been arrested since 2015, a shocking statistic in itself. But efforts to catch and deter these deviants must be stepped up further. Women must be able to travel safely. Our comment editor, Susanna Butters, a regular commuter in London. Susanna, these numbers seem extraordinary, but do they sound about right to you? Most people I know have a story about being harassed on public transport, but it's often afterwards that you realise that it's that what's happened is actually harassment. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I mean, things like when you're when you are pushed up on the central line or the Victoria line and it's just a tiny thing like a kind of squeeze of your thigh or I've had not on the tube but come kind of walking around Westminster in a crowd I've had someone put their hand up my skirt and pinch my bum and it's not just the tube it's buses and people shouting at you and bikes I think as a cyclist um you hear a lot of it I think it's different to tube harassment which is often more kind of silent and insidious and you don't really know what's going on whereas with cycling there's a lot of verbal aggression and kind of people shouting things that I had um I wish that your cycle seat was my face that you were sitting on and things like that are often it's it's not about a kind of sexual act it's about pure machismo and showing off and aggression how do you react to those things? You just keep on going? Does it scare you? I think it can be scary. It can be scary when it's kind of silent on the tube, like the, the packed carriage side grope is scary because you're surrounded by people. I think what you need in that situation is everyone needs to look out for each other. So I've been in situations where I've seen someone maybe getting some untoward attention. It can be someone young and vulnerable. It happens to men as well as women. Um, And you just need other people around to say, hey, what are you doing? Um, That's not okay. TfL have said that they do do a lot of work. They've got 3,000 police and community support officers dedicated to deterring crime and catching offenders across the network. But there's so much more that can be done, isn't there? Absolutely. They had this organisation called Project Guardian, which launched in 2013, and I think it lost some funding in 2016. And that was doing great work. It was the British Transport Police, the City of London Police, the Met and TfL all working together and reacting and just 
discussing it and talking about what can be done. Yeah, so according to the survey, only around 2% of victims have actually reported it. Can you understand why? Absolutely. I think, well, in the moment, there's this, what do I do? Was it, there's so many grey lines, like, was it just a crowded carriage? Am I making this up um, and then later there's the kind of process to go through you've got to kind of fill in a form talk to someone it, it can open up uncomfortable questions and when you're just trying to get home at the end of a long day and feeling kind of quite exhausted and overloaded as so many people in London are it might not be the first thing in your mind and you might not have the courage to do it but reporting it is crucial and there are organisations like Report It, Stop It and London Holler Back and the kind of Everyday Sexism Project with Laura Bates that enable you to talk about it online and anonymously if you like and it's so important that you do and that's what can help with stamping it out. Now, I am proud to lead the BBC and I always want to think and believe the best of the organisation. Tony Hall in 2016, apologising for the BBC's handling of the Jimmy Savile scandal, just one of the many crises the Director-General has seen the broadcaster through since he took over in 2014. Now he's decided to go and will leave in the summer. The evening stand is Jonathan Prince covering the story. Jonathan, this comes on the same day it was revealed the BBC paid out £400,000 to its presenter Sarah Montague in an equal pay route. Are these two things connected? Well, the BBC aren't certainly aren't saying so, but it does seem an, a remarkable coincidence that uh, this huge payout to one of its best-known presenters, which is inevitably going to be followed by many more, um, comes on the same day as this announcement uh, of Tony Hall's um, decision to step down in the summer. Why does he say he's decided to go? Well... To be fair, he's 68. Um, he's, he's held the job for, um, for seven years. And the point he's making is that the BBC's charter uh, is due for renewal in 2027. There's also a midway renew, re- review uh, period in 2022. And he feels that there should be um, a new person uh, in the job to take the BBC through these two major challenges, which could have... You know, fundamental consequent, uh, implications for, for its future as, a, as an organisation. Yeah, I mean, you can see the logic in the decision, but there's no doubt that the gender pay row has cast a huge shadow over his, uh, his leadership. So who is going to want to take that on? That's such a good question. And, I mean, there are some early runners and riders that sort of emerging from, from the pack, as it were. I mean, there's a, there's a very widespread feeling that the next DG needs to be a woman that the BBC's never had a, a, a female leader. One name who's getting a lot of love as it were is um, Charlotte Moore who who's head of content and and uh, also controller of BBC One is, is seen as a very very strong candidate but um, there are some men as well who, who are seen as um, being in a very strong position. Tim Davey who stood in when the previous director general uh, George Entwistle had to fall on his sword after the Jimmy Savile affair. He he's um, he's seen as uh, a, a credible candidate, as is um, the former Culture Secretary James Purnell, currently Director of Radio. And that's the leader. Please do subscribe through your podcast provider and get in touch with us through the hashtag #TheLeaderPodcast. We're back at four tomorrow.